0: The atmosphere is so positive. The atmosphere is a street party, right? It's a 26-mile-long street party, essentially.
1: Welcome to the ShakeOut Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Van Buskirk. In today's episode, we chat with mile-to-marathon coach and elite marathoner Rob Watson ahead of the 123rd running of the Boston Marathon. With only six short weeks until race day, Rob offers his advice on how to make the most of your training how to be prepared on the start line, and how to enjoy the journey from Hopkinton to Boylston. But first, Canadian Running staff writer Maddie Kelly and I bring you some of the highlights from the roads, track, and trails.
2: This is The Rundown. Hey Maddie, how's it going? I'm great. How are
1: you, Kate? I'm good, thanks. All right, let's jump into this. We had another pretty thrilling weekend of Canadian indoor track performances. It was conference week in both U Sports and the NCAA, and we had some pretty stellar results. So south of the border, we had a handful of Canadians land themselves in the top 16 national rankings, which means they secured their spots at the NCAA championships being held next weekend in Birmingham, Alabama. So congratulations to those runners. But it was a U Sports athlete who stole the spotlight this weekend.
2: Yeah, Jenna killed it this weekend. She broke another Canadian record, which is her second record this winter. Actually, it's her second record in like two weeks. Yeah, two or three weeks. Two or three weeks. Um, Both at Boston, both on that sweet, sweet BU track. And she ran a 159.87, breaking Melissa Bishop's old indoor 800-meter record of two minutes and... I think I think 13 was the change on that. Anyway, yeah. it was two minutes really low. Jenna ran even lower. She's the first Canadian woman to ever go under two minutes indoors. And clearly, being in Canada suits her. Being in Canada, but also racing in Boston. Yeah. <laughs> because
1: also- that track's been really good to her, as you mentioned. Yeah. So Jenna Westaway, as you mentioned, running for the Guelph Griffins right now. And we said this last week, but in her last season of eligibility indoors... And so she did compete at the OUA Championships last
2: weekend. And Maddie, she ran the 4x8 there, right? She anchored the team? Yeah, she anchored the team. I think her split was 205 or 206 is what I heard through the grapevine, which is a strong 800 run indoors. Totally. Nothing like 159, but still a strong run. So then I guess she must have hopped on a plane on Saturday to get to Boston to race on Sunday, which is a pretty masterful plan and executed very well. That's incredible. Well, huge congratulations to Jenna Westaway
1: yet again for her second Canadian record in about as many weeks. So we'll be watching the U Sports Championships closely, which are taking place two weeks from now at the University of Manitoba, where Jenna Westaway and of course all of our other incredible Canadian athletes will be competing. All right, let's keep rolling with Canadian news here. So our guest this week, Rob Watson, had
2: his first foray into the world of trail running over the weekend. So Rob competed at the Run Ridge Run 25K in Port Moody, BC, which is part of the Coast Mountain Trail series. It sounds like it was a big learning curve for Rob, who's much more comfortable on the roads than on the technical trails, but he managed to place third overall in the 25K race. Yeah. And so I think Rob's experience in those snowy conditions are going to serve him really well because he's actually
1: doubling that distance in a couple short weeks. He'll be racing the Chuck and Nut 50K in Washington state, and that will be his first ultra trail race. So we'll be sending speedy vibes to Mr. Watson. So there was one really exciting piece of news from the
2: USA track and field indoor championships that we would be remiss if we didn't cover. What happened there, Maddie? So, the USATF Indoor Nationals were this past weekend, and in the men's two-mile, they ended up making a split. There's usually, at these events in the distance races, it's just a straight final, but there's a slow heat and a fast heat, which isn't common. Um, So, Drew Hunter ended up winning the slow heat, which was three hours before the fast heat. He ran a really fast time. He ran... I mean, the two-mile is a pretty obscure event, but he ran a world's best um, this year, and... It was sort of suggested that unless the men in the fast he had an eye on the clock, they might not actually win. So Drew Hunter was waiting next to the track during uh, the A final, and they didn't go as fast. He actually ended up winning the race by seven seconds from that slow heat. So when he won his first national title, he wasn't even on the track. He was standing in his warm-ups next to it. Really excited, but uh, it's too bad he didn't technically ever get to break that tape. But uh, yeah, congrats to Drew Hunter for your very unconventional first national title.
1: Yeah, that would be a, a tense few hours having to wait that long. I mean, then that's the other unusual thing, right? Is that A and B finals or A and B heats tend to usually run one right after another. So for him to have already done his cool down and have to wait that long to find out where exactly he would placed in the race was a little nail biting. But uh, his time ended up being a USA national championship record as well.
2: So go Drew. Yeah, you could like watch him on the feed just getting more and more excited with every lap because he could see they weren't running that fast so I think I think he probably knew by like after mile one they really had to drop something impressive to beat him so it was a cool thing to watch that's awesome super fun for the spectators too all
1: right and moving on to international track news the drama continued unfolding in this battle that we've been seeing for teenage mid-distance dominance
2: So you'll remember that a few weeks ago, Ethiopian runner Yomif Kijelcha, who's only 21 years old himself, missed the world indoor mile record by a hundredth of a second. Then two weeks ago, he was beaten by 19-year-old Samuel Tefera, also of Ethiopia, in a duel for the indoor 1,500-meter world record. Then, this past weekend, if you can follow this bouncing ball, Tefera is beaten by someone even younger than him, 1,500-meter star Jacob Ingebrigtsen at the IAAF World Tour Final in Dusseldorf. And Ingebrigtsen's winning time of 3.36.02 was an under-20 world record. And Ingebrigtsen actually also set a U-20 world record the weekend before last, so his performance in Dusseldorf was his second U-20 world record in two weeks. So the young guys have all the glory
1: right now, and uh, it'll be fun to see how that translates to the outdoor season coming up. Okay, moving on to our last piece of international news. This is sort of a juicy story from the roads. So last week on the rundown, we reported that Lance Armstrong had run 302 at the Austin Marathon, and he did that as a charity fundraiser. But there's been some controversy around how much praise and attention that he should have received for that endeavor.
2: Yeah, that controversy is around the disqualification of Mary Akor, who's technically placed second in the women's race, but she broke a whole bunch of rules in the process. So first of all, she made a ton of unnecessary contact with the ultimate winner of a race. You have a lot of space in a marathon. You shouldn't have to touch anyone else. And then, so that on its own is enough to disqualify her. But in addition, she didn't enter as an elite, and she also obscured her race bib throughout the marathon.
1: Right, and the speculation around why she did those things is that the Austin Marathon actually has a policy under which runners are not allowed to enter the elite field or collect any prize money if they've had a previous doping infraction. And Mary Ackor tested positive for a banned substance back in 2013 and ended up uh, serving a two-year ban as a result.
2: So this is where the Lance controversy comes in, because even though he technically didn't enter as an elite or try to claim any prize money, he, of course, is one of the most disgraced dopers in recent sport history. And yet the Austin Marathon used his participation in fundraising efforts as publicity for their event, which seems to contradict their negative stance on accepting dopers. Yeah, so a bit of a double standard
1: there, but I think the takeaway is the same as always. Just kids, don't do drugs. We've been saying it since you were like in grade three. (laughs) Pretty straightforward. (laughs) All right, well, that's your rundown for this week. Thanks for joining us, Maddie, and we'll talk with you again soon. Thanks for having me. If you're currently living just about anywhere in Canada, it may not feel like it, but we are now officially inside the 50-day mark until the 2019 Boston Marathon. With the spring race season fast approaching, but blizzards and short days still in abundance, you might find yourself struggling to stay motivated this time of year. Well, we've got a cure for your marathon training slump, and his name is Rob Watson. Rob is not only one of Canada's fastest marathoners and coaches, he is also the host of his own podcast, The Rob Watson Show. This week, Rob joins us from the other side of the microphone to share some tips about how to make the most of your spring race prep. Rob has a special connection with the Boston Marathon. His only foray into the event took place in 2013, and it was an experience that he'll never forget. A relative newbie to the marathon at the time, Rob had a race plan and stuck to it. But in doing so, he found himself leading the race early on. In fact, Rob led the entire elite field for almost 25 kilometers. His front running, something that is rarely seen from a Canadian at a world's major marathon, earned him international attention. And although he was eventually overtaken by the pack, he finished in an impressive 11th place and had a ton of fun in the process. But then tragedy struck when he heard the explosions of the finish line bombings. Today, Rob shares his experiences from elation to heartache, along with his advice for anyone gearing up for this year's Boston. I caught up with Rob, a London, Ontario native, in his transplanted home of Vancouver. All right, well, hi Rob and thank you so much for joining us on the shakeout this week. Oh, thanks for having me, Kate. I'm happy to happy to be here. So, how are things going in Vancouver for you? Things are going well.
0: I mean, I can't really complain too much, but winter is coming to an end here soon, I hope. And training's been going well. We got the mild to marathon crew rolling. Everyone's getting ready for their marathons,
1: their 10Ks. Everyone's getting fit. Life is good on the West Coast. That's great to hear. And speaking of West Coast, I know winter is a relative term, but how are the weather conditions there currently?
0: <laughs> they're good. They're good. We had a little bit of snow in the last few weeks. we will get like we'll get snow once or twice a year and we got her. We got her in February and it and it came and now it's going away and I guess it's you know, whatever. It's Canada. It's winter. Yeah, I don't I don't mind the snow because I'm from Ontario, so it reminds me home a little bit.
1: <laughs> as long as you don't get too much of it, right?
0: Yeah, as long as as long as long it, it goes away in like a week. <laughs> right.
1: <there>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just enough to keep you nostalgic and then it can be gone. It's it's so true. Well, the thing is
0: like Vancouver, it's just it's the city's not, it's not, it doesn't deal with snow at all because there's no, right. there's no, like the infrastructure is not there. So the drivers are awful in the snow. The buses don't work. It's hilarious. You'll get into snow and the city will shut down. In Toronto, you know, you get eight feet and people are having a good old time with it so yeah I was just talking to an athlete they're running the chilly half this weekend and they mm-hmm. were talking about how it's a complete whiteout right now and you guys have been you guys have been getting hammered this winter kudos to all the runners out there have been putting in the work and training for their their spring marathons through this it's, it'll, it'll make it tougher come race day out, that's for sure
1: absolutely well and speaking of snow before we dive into our chat about Boston I have to ask you about your experience with your first trail race last weekend How was that for you?
0: It was fun. It was really fun. I've been looking for ways just to kind of keep my running fresh. And, uh, you know, I figure I've... I've done a lot on the roads and it was time to explore new things. The trail has always been something that's kind of intrigued me. Uh, So I started to explore the trails Yeah, and I started training, learning how to run uphill, learning how to run downhill, learning how to run over rocks and roots and all that fun stuff. And, and this last past weekend I went to one of Gary Robbins's uh, trail races up in a place called Bunsen Lake at Diaz Vista, just outside of Vancouver here. And I had, I'd done a lot of running on it and then we got a big old snowstorm, and the race was completely under snow. And, It was a winter wonderland out there. And I heading in, I was like, you know, I'm pretty good at running on flat. I'm pretty good at running on dry. And I knew the course pretty well. But when it was completely under snow, all my flaws were exposed. And I just spent the whole race flailing and falling. Oh, my gosh. I wish there was a highlight reel of the race. (laughs) Like the number of times I just came around a corner and just immediately fell. One point I was running down a a hill and there was a sharp turn. I missed the turn and went right into a tree. It was... It, it was you know but i felt like a trail runner i was like yeah this is what trail runners do right this is, they're just a bunch of maniacs so it was cool i really enjoyed it. I'm, I'm really sore from it but but I, the thing is the thing with my running right now is i'm just looking to have fun and, and have cool experiences and that checked
1: those boxes so yeah it Sweet. was cool
0: yeah, I'll be and doing you're it. coming
1: back for more in a couple of weeks you're gonna double the distance i hear
0: yeah, I'm terrified. I got a 50K trail. I don't know. I don't know why I signed up for it. I think I just got like, you know, one of those, you just get caught up in the moment and, and I signed up for a 50K trail race and, and one thing that led to another and in two and a half weeks, I'm on the line for 50K. Uh, and apparently this one's not as technical and not as gnarly. So we'll, okay. we'll, get on, we'll get on the line and have some more fun.
1: Well, we'll definitely be watching your results and wishing you lots of good luck. Thank you. So shifting gears a little bit to the main focus of this conversation You've only run the Boston Marathon once but it sounds like that it was a pretty memorable experience for a few reasons. And the first one I want to talk about is the fact that in what I think many people saw as probably a departure from expectation or tradition, given that it was your first Boston, you ended up leading a good chunk of the first half of the race. So could you take us back and just tell us about that strategy and that experience?
0: Oh, the good old 2013 Boston marathon. Yeah. I only ran Boston once, but that was the most fun I ever, that was the most fun I had in my running career. Uh, That was, that was a really really special day for myself. So yeah, so how it played out, I guess, is that uh, I had a really really good training block leading up to Boston that year. It was my third marathon ever, um, and yeah, I was I, you know I was just I was just there to e- enjoy the experience. I knew I was really fit heading in, and just the way the race played out that day is. I was just trying to run my own race, and you know the the majority of the pack they just started they decided for whatever reason to go nice and slow. So myself, Jason Hartman, and Fernando Cabada kind of took the lead over the first few miles. It's not like we like started off running like four thirty miles or anything. We were running like five minute miles. This is everyone else is kind of dinking around in the back doing their own thing and then uh you know at about at about i can't remember the exact distance points but i think like five or six miles the pack of the you know the elite guys with a bunch of the ethiopians the kenyans they caught up to us and when they caught up to us like okay you know we expected this this was gonna happen and they caught up to us and they went by us but then they totally settled in and and then they stopped kind of getting away from us. And then Jason and myself were like, all right, well, let's just work our way back up to this pack and worked our way back up. We caught up back up to that front pack at about 10 miles. And, and I was like, this is pretty cool. This is a lot of fun. You know, that the, the atmosphere on the Boston marathon course is unlike any other I've ever experienced, even including all the other, uh, other majors. It was, It was so cool. You know, you're going through all these neighborhoods, everyone's cheering, everyone's having a good time. And I was trying to kind of keep an eye on that at the same time, you know, keep an Hmm. eye on the other competitors, keep, keep, keep a read on my body. But, uh, you know, every in the, but the pack was probably about like eight or nine of us, maybe 10. And, I found that it was very like kind of choppy you know I kept I'm a tall guy I'm a lanky guy I'm kind of I kind of flail a little bit with my stride so i kept on getting clipped and it was kind of frustrating and I wasn't I was I was kind of getting out of my own little comfort zone so I was like f this you know I'm gonna I'm gonna find some space and do my own thing so I kind of went to the front so I could have a nice fluid smooth stride and have a good sight line and and next thing you know I had gapped the field and I I I hadn't planned on it happening but it, it happened and uh yeah, so I ended up leading until about 15, 15 miles, I want to say, through the halfway, through um, Wesley College, which was really cool because that's where all the, uh, you know, they say you can hear the hear the girls of Wesley from a mile away, but I didn't hear them because I was leading the race. But when I, <laughs> when I actually got there, they were loud and it was super exciting. And, and I always remember, I always remember like at that point being like, that was one of those moments you'll never forget where you're leading the Boston marathon to this iconic you And it's like, Holy moly, this is really cool. I'm, I like my life right now. Right. <laughs> and then, and then we hit the, and then we hit the Hills and as expected, you know, the, the guys caught up to me and kind of left me in their dust and then coming off the back of the Hills, I started cramping up and, and that's when I didn't really like my life so much, but yeah, it was. Uh, my goal heading in that day was top ten, run a strong race, and I came eleventh. I felt like I ran a pretty strong race, and and it was an amazing racing experience. And I will always, always tell people that Boston Marathon's my favorite marathon. I've run London, I've run New York, I've run Chicago, I've done some work in Berlin, but this I'm, I'm nothing to nothing to me compares to that that Boston Marathon. So it's always got a special place in my heart. And then obviously there was that you know, the tragedies that happened afterwards that added a new dynamic and a new, uh, you know, a different kind of perspective on that day. So it was a, Mm -hmm. that was the weirdest day of my life. You know, it was, (laughs) it went from the highest of the highs to some pretty scary lows, but you know, Boston special, it's always going to be a, always going to be an experience when you're there. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and in terms of uh, your execution, you're definitely an example of someone who is rewarded for sticking to their race plan, right? Like I think that's maybe something that some, some people might not recognize or might not realize about your experience there was that you weren't just, you know, trying to get your moment of glory. You were sticking to your plan. You were, you know, hitting your paces and uh, it just happened to put you in the front and give you this amazing experience. So I'm sure there's something that can be taken away from that by every, uh, every, runner listening.
0: That's that's true. Yeah. People are like, oh, you're trying to get on TV or this, that. It's like, no, I was just trying to do my thing. Like the way the Boston Marathon course runs is the first half of that course is slightly downhill. And if you were to run the first half and the second half completely fresh on different days, you're gonna run the first half faster right i feel like you know you got to take advantage of that little bit of the first half so you know i was i think i was like 64 40 or something on the first half and but it felt very smooth and it felt very controlled and, and like you were saying i was just i was just doing what i had to do i was just doing what my body was telling me to do on the day and trying to stick to my plan so yeah i mean you, you got to have a plan you got to run your own race and you kind of you kind of try not to have other you know control your control elements you can't control what your competitors are going to do but you control control what you're going to do and that's what i was trying to do on that day
1: Right. Great advice. Well, and we'll get back to uh, some more sort of race tactic specifics in a little bit. But, um, you know, between your personal experience at the event, your years of coaching and just your involvement in the sport, I do think it's fair to say that you're one of the best people to offer our, list, offer our listeners some advice on how to tackle this thing. So thinking about training, we're less than 50 days out now from the Boston Marathon. It's a pretty critical time for runners. So, you know, people are deep in their build now. They've put in a lot of the mileage. Most Canadians have been slogging through the winter conditions <laughs> for months. Even in Vancouver, you had to deal with some snow, but there's still a few weeks of heavy training before people get into their taper. So with only a little over six weeks left, what are some of your biggest tips about how to optimize this particular segment of your training? And this this episode will have a Boston specific spin. But, you know, I think there's a lot that people can draw from what you're going to say about how to apply your advice to uh, spring marathons in general.
0: Yeah. And that's the thing with with training for a marathon, there's the broad things that every runner is going to cover. And then there's the specifics of a specific race, right? You always want to, you you just got to get marathon fit and then you want to tweak it to what the race has to offer and obviously Boston has its own unique kind of race profile and the ways that race will be run and you have to train for it but yeah with the, with this time I guess most runners are going to be hitting the their their peak mileage they're going to be hitting their big long runs it's time to start doing those long runs where you put in some quality work in it really you know a lot of people will be feeling a little tired but just know that it's it's part of the process, right? You started this training process and if you're if you're running boss and you're obviously a you're you're a good runner and you know how to run a marathon, you've been here before and and you know that the, the marathon training, it's not any one workout, it's not any, you know, one week, it's a collection of the last three or four months. And right now you'll be in a part where you're getting tired, but you're also getting really fit. Um, and it's just time to put your head down and stick to the process. Trust the training, trust what you're doing and stay focused on it. You know, it's, it's too late to be panicking and it's, it's too late to be thinking of resting. It's, it's, it's time to just focus on getting the job done and hit your big long runs, hit your specific sessions and just stay focused on the process and know, you will talk to your other running friends. Everyone's tired right now. Everyone just wants to race and you're not alone in this. You're not alone. It's an individual sport, but there's a whole entire community out there and uh it's a cool thing to be training for a marathon and hopefully you're learning a lot about yourself during it and hopefully you're just getting ready to go but just know that it's uh It's a challenge but you've chosen to do this so you know you you committed to it 14 weeks ago and you're you're getting closer every day so just stay on it and stay focused
1: well and and hearing you say that makes me think back to you saying you know why did i ever sign up for a 50k trail race i i feel like every marathoner i've spoken to says that there comes to a point in their build where they have that exact same question like why in the world did i decide to take this on (laughs) you know i have a good runner friend who always says when things get tough i just have to remind myself I decided to do this. Like this was my choice. I made this decision.
0: <laughs> and that's exactly it, right? When you're when you're putting on your sneakers to go and run 35k on a on a Sunday morning in February, you're like, why did I decide to do this again? Well, you decided to do this because you're a very fortunate person and you're very talented. You know, you you have the ability to do this, and it's a really cool thing. But yeah, it's just like. I find when you're in the slog and, and you're in the, and, and you're not just training yourself physically, you're training yourself mentally too, right? If you go out there and you run 35k in the dead of winter in Toronto, like you're going to be mentally prepared to handle a whole lot of garbage on race day, right? It's, it doesn't get a whole lot worse than that. I remember when I was living in Guelph and training with Taylor Mill, and we'd go out for like these runs in the dead of winter through like knee deep snow, and we're like, all right, in the in the summertime, let's remember, let's remember what we did on february 12th because this is awful type thing right and it's just and it's challenging to do but when you finish it you kind of feel like a badass you know you finish your run and you take a selfie of your of yourself covered in ice and snow and you send it to your friends They're like yeah you're crazy and you're like yeah i'm a badass right so it's uh it's 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 mental and it's also physical and you got to prepare both those elements for the marathon and a lot of that and i you'll you'll become pretty hardy training through a canadian winter that's for sure
1: well, and uh, if there was ever a race to exemplify, you know, hard work paying off on a crappy race day, it was Boston last year <laughs> with those conditions that I think, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, how tough you are, you were going to suffer on that day. So I guess there's something to be said for embracing the suffering training. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Last year's Boston was absurd. Oh my gosh. I I can't think of, I can, I literally cannot think of worse conditions to run a marathon. A point to point in that headwind, yeah. like, you know, that like zero degrees and driving rain, like that is, that is a nightmare. And, and people, but like, people are like, they did it. People hulked up. People got the job done. People, Any anyone I've talked to, I, I haven't talked to anyone who's actually did it and had like a negative thing to say. <laughs> They're like, you know, it it was what it was and we know it there and you battled it and you did it. And hey, that's, it's it's the marathon for you. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be an experience no matter what happens on the day.
1: Well, again, especially after this Canadian winter, there might be a couple of hardy Canadians secretly hoping for some conditions like that. Cause they know they can handle it. <laughs>
0: oh, absolutely. Right. It's, it's a great
1: equalizer in the marathon. Yes, for sure. All right. So we've talked about putting in, you know, this big volume, we're right in the heart of some of these big long runs. One of the big debates I think for people this time of year is when is it too much? So, you know, you're you're building some fatigue resistance by running on tired legs. Um, you're putting in these big volume weeks and you know, you've got a taper coming up, but again, you're still a few weeks away from it. What's your advice around when to draw that line? So between, you know, really working through some of that fatigue versus, you know, I just, I got to take a rest day.
0: Yeah. And that's, it's a challenging and it's a tricky thing, right? Because it is, it is a fine line. There's a difference between being tired from you know workload and in a good way and it being kind of you you're, you're over you're over pushing. So I find that you know when I talk to my athletes, if you have you know the like there are going to be runs. I tell everyone you know there's going to be days where you just feel like garbage and that's okay. But if you feel like garbage two, three, four days in a row, then maybe it's time we got to take a step back um you know you want to do work on on heavy legs as part of training for a marathon but mm. making sure your easy aerobic days are very easy and you're you know at this point those aerobic runs you're building your aerobic base at a pace that's quite manageable and it shouldn't be stressing you too much and you're saving your legs to hit those specific workouts and, but if you're feeling run down and tired three four days in a row then it's time to maybe take three or four days and back off because you know to run a marathon, you know you got to be on the start line right i w- I, always, I always say i'd much rather an athlete hit you know 12 weeks at 80 percent than you know six weeks at 100 percent and then have to take two weeks off right it's 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 all about the consistency and it's it's almost better to err on the side of caution uh mm-hmm. you know it's it's important to be able to read your body you have to be able to read your body but you know so Keep a, keep a track on your energy levels throughout the day. Keep a track on your heart rate when you wake up in the morning, right? If you wake up and, you're, and your normal heart rate is, you know, say it's 60 beats a minute, you're waking up at 70, you know, your body is on the edge and your body is, you know, it's it's it's, it's a sign that things are just not maybe right. So, you know, you got to read those little signals and, and trust and have enough trust that, you know, if you have to take a few days off, don't panic, right? It's like, what's the alternative? You push through it and you hurt yourself. You push through it, you don't even get on that start line. It's better to err on the side of caution. You know, you've been working hard for three, four months. Three, four days off is not going to... All of a sudden, you're not going to lose your fitness. You're going to freshen up and you're going to be okay. Take a few days, completely reload, sleep, you know, be on your nutrition. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's 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 definitely a fine line and it, and it can be challenging. And I know a lot of runners are, you know, are in this mindset where it's go, go, go. But I can even say from my own experience as a runner that maybe there were times where I should have backed off because... I, I, yeah i never i've never taken three days off and started running again all of a sudden my fitness was gone if anything my le, my legs felt better and you felt hungry and ready to go so it's it's to have the uh maturity to be able to step back and and look at the big picture and look at the whole the whole picture
1: right. Yeah. Then that's such great advice. I think we've all been there where you're just, you're so in it in the moment and uh, you think you sort of, you know, you don't want to live and die by every workout, but you're also trying to uh, to stay hungry and motivated with it. And um, yeah, that's, that's great advice about finding that line. So on that note of the motivation, how do you encourage your athletes or help your athletes to stay motivated, help them with that mental peace this time of year? Again, you're, you know, you've got, as you mentioned, there's not only this physical fatigue, but you've also got this, this mental emotional fatigue to a degree. And you know you, you talked about gaining some more fitness and how that can be really empowering for athletes, which is great. But at the same time, there's going to be runs where you just come back and you're just you're tired in every aspect. So what are some of the, the ways that you help keep your, your athletes motivated and mentally tough?
0: Yeah, and a lot of it's 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 again every athlete's different, right? Every athlete ticks in a different way. Some athletes you need to go out there and you need to just be hard on them. Other athletes you need to be a little soft on them, and it's just it just depends on the athlete. But I think a lot of it is just keeping your goals in, at the forefront, right? And and a lot of that can be just having somebody to talk to and don't inter- internalize everything, right? Don't don't mm-hmm. be in your own head so much. If something's bothering you, get it out there because I promise you, you're not the only runner to ever go through this experience, right? (laughs) Like I I promise you, there's thousands of other runners out there who are going through the exact same thing. But the fact that you're a a runner and the fact that you're training for a marathon, you're already mentally tough and you're already, you know, you've already shown that you, you are mentally capable of handling the workload and handling adversity. So, don't be afraid to talk about it. Kind of going back to why you're doing this in the first place. What are you looking to get out of it? And accepting the fact that you know, when you started this process, you accept you accepted that there are going to be sacrifices and there are going to be times when it's going to get difficult. But you knew that was going to happen and you may be going through that right now and just be like, okay this was not unexpected so let's let's focus let's focus one day at a time let's get through this and let's realize why i'm doing this think about yourself crossing that finish line think about yourself all this work you've already done right it's it's a minor blip and you can get through it talk talk to somebody talk to your coach talk to your people you train with go on a message board just you know don't don't internalize don't don't be in your own head so much and uh we're all runners going through the same things and and, and you got to keep putting one foot in front of the other.
1: Yeah. Literally and metaphorically, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, that's a great segue. We've, we've talked about some of the physical preparation. We've talked about some of the mental now it's race day. (laughs) So, you know, I know that this advice is going to differ quite a bit from one group to the other, but if there were, you know, one or two main race day tips for the Boston marathon that you would give to first timers and then Again, I understand that you're not a veteran of it, but you have maybe a different experience because of the elite aspect. Are, are there some tips that you would give to uh, to people who have done it before? Maybe more general marathon tips, but uh, particularly you know those first timers. What what can the great Rob Watson tell them about their first Boston experience?
0: <laughs> the great Rob Watson, I'm gonna i to put that I'm gonna put that on my, as my as my dial tone or my ring or whatever. Um, yeah, I think the biggest thing for race day is to have a plan. You have to have a plan. You can't leave anything to chance like as I was talking about before is it's like controlling all the controllable elements in Boston, the, the Boston is, you know, it's a point to point course. So make sure you know how you're gonna get yourself out to Hopkinton. Make sure you have a plan on race day. Make sure you know you're gonna eat the night before. Make sure you know that you're gonna know you're gonna eat the morning of. Just have it have a routine and have a plan. So when race day comes, you can focus on your performance as much as possible, right? You don't wanna add any other stresses, right? You don't wanna have any of that. I was reading, I think I think it was I think this was an endure, um, Al Touchson's book talking about like that decision fatigue, right? Mm-hmm. Where if you if you're making these decisions and you have these you know, these, these stresses mentally, they're going to affect, affect your physical performance. So you got to avoid that as much as possible. So just make sure before you get to Boston, you know, have a sense, know where you're staying, know when, what time your bus is going to get to Hopkinton. When you get to Hopkinton, make sure you're prepared for anything, you know, go to the thrift shop, buy a bunch of clothes you'll mind never seeing again. You know, last year in the rain year, I've, I've, I've talked to people and some people were there and they just were completely, they never warmed up, you know, it was was Mm -hmm. challenging. So just make sure that you're ready for everything and it's better to be over-prepared than under-prepared. You know, if you have three sweaters and you only wear two of them, that's fine, right? But if you you needed two and you only had one, you're going to be in trouble. So, it's just like over-prepare, have a plan, have a routine so that you set yourself up to optimize your performance as best as possible. Have your fueling, take more gels than you need. (laughs) Anything you think you may need, take it. Uh, Because if if you throw it in the garbage, that's fine. At least you had it. At least you had the option. So prepare, have a routine, have a race day routine that you can go through. And I feel like that's important. You know, if anyone's doing chilly half this weekend, you know, practice your race day routine. Practice that race day stimulus. Mm. Uh, It's a whole new world out there. And it's it's best to be under control of all the elements you can control. And, uh, you know, some things you can control. But if you screw up because of something you can control, that's on you.
1: So that's really sound advice for the the preparation. And then, you know, I think the, the piece that sometimes gets overlooked, again, I've heard this from my marathon friends, is finding a way to actually, and I know that you were able to do this, really enjoy the experience while you're in it then, right? So, I, you know, the ultimate reward for all of this work, all of this preparation is the actual race. And as you mentioned, you know, Boston has got very arguably some of the best crowd support out there. So what, what kinds of things can you, you know, advise people around how to really take in the day and enjoy the experience while they're on the course?
0: Yeah. And I, 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 I agree with that, right? It's, it is, you want to go to Boston and you, and you want to run hard and you want to run fast. You want to race, you want to get the best out of your physical self. But I found in my experience, I utilize the crowd to do that. The atmosphere is so positive. The atmosphere is a, a, it's a street party, right? It's a 26 mile long street party essentially. And be aware of what's going on around you. And there's a reason why you're you know, at this, this greatest marathon in the world. It's it's not just because it's not because the course is easy, it's because it's a it's 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 the history and it's the atmosphere and it's your fellow competitors. And obviously we're there to perform, we're there to run fast, but that the atmosphere can be used to do that, right? So, you know, take a time to, to look around and see everyone smiling and, you know, may, you may not be having a good time the whole time, but just appreciate your hard work, appreciate what it took to get there and realize that, you know, we, we run marathons to, uh, you know, it's, it's bigger than ourselves and this is this is an event that pulls people from all over the world. And it's just, yeah, so, you know, every so often take a, take a look up and high five a, high five a child, you know, uh, hug a stranger and have fun.
1: Going back to your personal experience, you mentioned this briefly, you know, one of the reasons I think that it was memorable for you probably was that, like you said, you had this fantastic race experience, you were on this high. And then of course, you know, not much later, there was, you know, this real tragedy. And I don't want to spend too much time on that one aspect. But I just I do want to ask, you know, this was so obvious in your post race interviews that you were just on cloud nine, and then having to um, be brought back to reality in a way uh, with these bombings that happened at the finish line, can you share a bit of what that part of the experience was like for you?
0: Yeah, yeah, that was that. That sucked. <laughs> I, w- I was, I was, because we were, we stayed at the uh, the Copley Fairmont, which is right there at the at the finish line. And I was having having breakfast with my brother after the race. We were just kind of hanging out, talking, kind of enjoying it. And then we heard the first kind of explosion go off. Right, and we're like, "Oh, what was that?" And people are like, "Oh, don't worry, it's just." It's just cannons. It's, it's, it's Patriot's Day. And then we heard the second one go off. We're like, uh. Mm. And we didn't know. We're not we are not from Boston, right? So we don't know what's going on there. And then at the table beside us, there was a security guard. And then another security guard came and he's like, hey, man, we got to go. Like, something just happened. And it was like, what? And then my brother checked on his Twitter, and it was like explosion at Boston. And then what happened is people were very... Like, the organizing committee, they were so composed... And they kind of said, Hey everybody, come with us. All right, we wanna get a head count, we gotta make sure everyone's accounted for. And it was it was scary because it was complete unknown, right? And there's all these rumors going around. It's like, oh, there's there's bombs up and down the street, there's this, that, there's everything else. And it's like, holy moly, this sucks. But you know, it was insane because these people who were doing this, like these were Bostonians, and it's like, man, these people are taking care of us, like, you know, <laughs> what's going through their head? They have their family and their loved ones out there. It was, um, it definitely brought you back to reality and it definitely brought you back to, you know, the realities of the world these days. Unfortunately, is that stuff like this it, it happens and it, it was it was so heartbreaking to see it happen at such a such an event like a marathon where, you know, it's a celebration, a marathon is a celebration. It's, it's like the least offensive thing and for it to happen in a marathon just shows how vulnerable, unfortunately, we can be you know has he question humanity but then you see how everyone came together and all the first responders came together how the city came together you're like okay you know for, there's 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 bad in this world but there's a whole lot more good um so it was it was it was tor- terrible but it, at the same time it was uplifting to see how everyone came together and support each other we're a pretty awesome country canada not a whole lot of mm-hmm. bad stuff happens but yeah so it was uh, it was a scary day it was definitely a day i'll never i'll never forget uh, for the good and for the bad
1: Because, you know, this weekend isn't all about the race. Are there any things that you did, any sites you took in, anything that you would advise people going to Boston to check out while they're there? Or did you not have that experience? Well,
0: I before the race, I've I've noticed this with all the major marathons, um, Boston, New York, Chicago, Berlin, when you're there. The locals, they're so appreciative, right? You're walking on the street and like, oh, are you here from the marathon? Where are you from? That's so cool. And welcome to Boston. Enjoy Boston's got a great, you know, downtown Boston's got great restaurants. It's got a great beer scene. Um, if you're, I think there's always a baseball game going on. But Boston's a really cool city. It's a very historical city. Uh, you know, it's got great university culture. And so I can't think of anything in particular that I did But I just, I just remember the atmosphere around the whole entire city, the whole entire weekend is very, very positive. And, you know, you're obviously there to perform. But at the same time, get out of your hotel a little bit, maybe go for a little walk, go to the expo and just embrace the whole experience, the whole show around the marathon, because it's not just it's not just happening while you're out there on the course, it's happening the whole entire weekend. And, you know, the the Boston people, they're hospitable. They're a hospitable bunch and they're proud of their race and they're proud of their city. So, you know, be be part of it. Be a a Bostonian for the day. I I try to enjoy the experience because every marathon, no matter what, it's going to be something you remember for the rest of your life, right? There's a reason you've trained hard and you're always going to remember your marathons. And so just try to make sure it's it's a positive memory. You know, no matter how your race goes, you know, focus on the positive and, you know, you'll be telling stories to your grandkids one day.
1: big thanks to Rob Watson for his contribution to this episode. You can learn more about Rob by visiting mile to marathon online or by checking him out on the Rob Watson show. You can listen and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Stitcher or wherever you find your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at shakeout podcast. And just remember winter won't last forever. So whatever you're training for at the moment, heed Rob's advice. Keep up the good work and know that it will all pay off in the end. I'll talk with you again next week.